This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Have you heard about the Resident Orthopedic Core Knowledge Program? The American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons has partnered with leading experts in the field to bring you ROCK, the online learning platform developed for U.S. residency programs. Free to residents, ROCK empowers you to build a foundation to prepare you for the OITE and ABOS Part 1 exam. And remember, access to the ROCK content is free for residents. Get started at rock.aaos.org. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to yet another episode of the Nailed It Ortho podcast. My name is Dr. Cole, and you're tuning into our OITE slash board review series featuring myself and Dr. Spencer Woolwine, and we are continuing on talking about some hand. And today we're actually going to talk about some fingertip injuries. Now, if you have not already, go and check out the podcast companion book. It literally has all the notes that go along with this podcast. So that way you can take notes, you can write in it, you can jot notes down, you can do whatever you need to do. And uh, check us out on YouTube. Go ahead and subscribe at Nailed It Ortho, and we'll see you all next time. Enjoy the episode. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring doctors Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. We are back again for some more. We're continuing this hand trail and we're, we're doing some more hand topics and we got through a good amount of hand trauma, but now we'll go to some like nail stuff and then real nerve injuries, tendon injuries. And yeah, man, you, you ready to get this bad boy going? I'm ready. All right. We'll take it back to elementary here. What are the parts to a nail? Like, you know, fingertip, we're looking at nail injuries. So what are the parts of a nail just so that everybody should know? Yeah. So a few parts, nail plate, then you have the sterile matrix, which is beneath the nail plate itself, the hyponychium, which is between the distal nail bed and the skin, the eponychium, which is at the distal part of the proximal nail fold, also called like the cuticle. And then the perinychium are the lateral margins around the nail. There's also the germinal matrix, which is where the nail is essentially generated and pushed out the nail that's at the most distal aspect of your finger. I know you guys are probably listening to this and thinking this makes total (laughs) sense, but the nail that is at the most distal part of your finger, that's the kind of oldest part of the nail. And it's regenerated from underneath that eponychium or that cuticle and pushed outward. And that will kind of come into play when you do start to see these either as residents, fellows, or attendings, and you're treating like infections around the nail or nail bed injuries or lacerations through the nails, it'll, it, it, where the laceration or where the injury is will kind of depend on the treatments. Let's say that a patient comes into the ER and underneath their nail, it's like dark purple. You've diagnosed them with a subungual hematoma greater than 50% of the nail, what's the treatment for that patient? Yeah, and typically for those, what you're, what you're worried about is that there may be a laceration on the matrix. For that, you want to remove the nail and repair the laceration if you can, hopefully with some absorbable sutures. I think chromic gut is used a lot, or some people actually use uh, Dermabon. I think that's like a, some people always kind of debate and talk about those too. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, I guess that's with the hematoma being greater than 50%. I heard for if it's under 50%, there are different things that you can do, but some people will put like an 18 gauge needle and decompress it, or some people will do nothing. But if it's greater than 50%, remove the nail, inspect the 
nail matrix and uh, repair the laceration. And, you know, one of the, I guess, kind of potential risk is having a hook nail. And what a hook nail is, if you lose kind of that bony support or you have like a tight repair, you can get that appearance to the nail. So if you just Google a hook nail, you'll kind of see what we're talking about. But that's just kind of one of the risks with these that you should just talk uh, with the patients about and kind of let them know about it too. And we actually have a podcast for those that want to learn a little bit more about, you know, fingertip injuries with Dr. Goschok. I think that's one of our first five or 10 episodes. So you can go and check that out for some further details. But continuing on, just kind of describing these fingertip injuries. Say, you know, we have a resident that is seeing something down in the ED and they're calling you and trying to tell you that they have somebody that has some finger injuries. What are some of the, I guess, orientation types in uh, fingertip injuries? Yeah. So there's the straight transverse, which is exactly what you think, where it's just a transverse laceration through the fingertips. Then you have a dorsal oblique, which is the laceration happened at such an angle that the oblique surface is dorsal and then a volar oblique laceration where the oblique surface is volar. So a dorsal oblique is going to kind of happen more through the nail and go volar, whereas a volar oblique typically involves like the finger pad and the finger tip and then extends palmarly and proximally. So that's the kind of dorsal and volar oblique. And that really is more for kind of handoffs or uh, discussion with senior residents or attendings over the phone or when you're out in practice and you may not be taking hand call, but you have a hand partner and you can kind of give them an idea of what's going on. And then these orientation fingertip injuries also comes into play on what type of flaps and soft tissue defects you're going to have and you can treat. So what are some of the common flaps that you use to treat these fingertip injuries? Yeah. So one is the VY advancement, which can be useful for transverse lacerations or dorsal oblique lacerations, where there's more skin missing dorsally than foliarly. And what that is, I mean, pretty much like cut a V and then you undermine and move the tissue, I guess, a little bit more distally. And so then when you suture up the area that was moved, it kind of, it looks like a Y. So that's why it's called like a VY advancement. And you can Google that and, and that'll make a little bit more sense. Uh, you also have a thinner flap and a thinner flap can be useful for index or long finger defects in young patients. So pretty much what that is, is the skin from the palm covers the digits and then the flap is kind of divided after a couple of weeks or around two weeks or so. Thinner flap, skin from the palm covers the digits. Again, these are kind of be useful for your long or your index finger, more in the younger patient. You also have a cross finger flap. So a cross finger flap is when the dorsal skin and tissue is going to be used to cover a volar defect of the adjacent finger. So if you have a volar oblique laceration, you can use a cross finger flap to help with that coverage. So again, the dorsal skin and tissue of the finger next to the one with the defect is going to be used to cover that defect of the volarly of where it is. So that's a cross finger flap. Otherwise, the reversed cross finger flap, this is going to be used to cover a dorsal defect. So this is when the dorsal tissue is used to cover a dorsal defect. So again, uh, volar defects, you're thinking cross finger flaps, dorsal defects, you're thinking reverse finger flaps. For thumb injuries, you're thinking the Moberg advancement. So this is where you get some soft tissue around the hand and you advance it 
distally towards the thumb. One question I always saw was a complication, which was stiffness. So stiffness is a complication for that. So again, so thumb, you're thinking Moberg advancement flap. Fuller defect, you're thinking cross finger flap. Dorsal, you're thinking reverse cross finger flap or long or uh, index finger to young. You're thinking a thinner flap. There and there's some also some other flaps like the first dorsal metacarpal artery flap, which could be also used for dorsal thumb injuries. And then the groin flap, which can be used in dorsal hand injuries. Where if you Google a picture of that, it's, it's really interesting. But, you know, your hands kind of sew down there in the groin, and that's used to help cover dorsal hand injuries. So the groin flap, and that's going to be from the circumflex, the superficial circumflex iliac artery. So really quickly, VY advancement, you have for your transverse lax, for volar oblique lax, you use a cross finger. For dorsal defects, you use a reverse finger flaps. For your thumb defects, use a Moberg advancement flap as well as a first dorsal metacarpal artery flap. I know that was a lot. I think there's a good chart on orthobullets that I used to look at that has it all splayed out very well. So if you want to take a look at that, I guess some absolute indications for hand slash finger replantation. Yeah, some of the absolute indications for the hand and finger replants is one is going to be amputation of the thumb. I mean, obviously, it's what makes us kind of it's human is we have the opposable thumb. If there's multiple digits that are amputated, you want to try and save as many of those as possible. Amputations through the wrist or forearm and any level in a pediatric patient, you want to try to replant partially because they are part amphibian and can kind of regrow that stuff. <laughs> as long as the fingertip is in the same room as the patient, they'll somehow regrow it. And then right. yeah, a mid-palmer amputation, which will involve, it kind of goes along with that multiple digit amputation. If you have something through the mid-palm, um, you want to try and replant that as much as possible. But then there's also times where there are contraindications to replant. And what are some of those? This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Are you an orthopedic resident? Then you need to know about ROC. It's a new resident orthopedic core knowledge program developed by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Created for U.S. residency programs and free to residents, ROC covers 11 subspecialties and is filled with in-depth, comprehensive content and quizzes that have been authored and vetted by some of the leading experts in orthopedics. This all-in-one curriculum will give you the foundation and knowledge you need to become a successful board-certified orthopedic surgeon. And remember, access to ROC content is free to residents. Get started at rock.aaos.org. Yeah, so these are going to be like severely mangled parts, you know, like something one in the meat grinder, I guess you could say. Severely mangled patients with like severe vascular disorders patients that had a prolonged warm ischemia. So, you know, an ischemia time greater than six hours with a major muscle. Patients with prolonged ischemia in a finger greater than 12 hours. So again, greater than six hours from one of those big muscle groups in a finger greater than 12 hours. And then patients that just have a very severe injury or diseases. I don't think they'll ask much about replantation. At least I haven't seen much stuff asked about it. The only things I've seen is like, you know, if it's a sharp injury that, you know, kind of sharp, like a knife to a finger or something like that, those may be able to be replanted versus if it's like a crush injury, you don't know if you're necessarily going to be able to replant those. 
Yeah, uh, yeah, they'll make it a pretty clear picture that it, it'll be a clean cut or something that is more crushed. And then for the replants, this may come up, but it's kind of what do you repair first? And typically, you want to repair the bony anatomy first because you want to create a stable skeleton for which to complete your nerve, arterial, and tendon repair. Because the last thing you want to do is do a nice nerve repair, a nice arterial repair, a nice tendon repair, spend a couple hours doing all of that under a microscope, and then have it be too short for the bony injury. And then you risk either tearing through your repair or stretching out the repair too much that it's essentially non-functional. You want to do the bony work first and then the soft tissue work, but they won't ask you, oh, repair the nerve before the artery or whatever. There may be something about repairing the veins before the arteries. And I think you repair veins before arteries because you don't want to restore arterial flow without a venous outflow or something like that. But don't quote me on that. So if you're confused about it, go look it up. And <laughs> that replants are no longer a part of my practice. As a tumor surgeon, I more just cut things off rather than put things back on. But yeah, now we're on to, I think, nerve injuries. Oh yeah, back to nerves. Yeah, so I guess just again, going down to basics. So what are the main parts of a nerve? Main aspects of a nerve is the, from smallest portion of the nerve exterior, you're going to have the axon, which is an extension from the dorsal root ganglion of the anterior horn at the spine, which is the each axon is surrounded by endoneurium. Then a bundle of axons and endoneurium create a fascicle, which is multiple nerve fibers. And then surrounding each fascicle is the perineurium. And then you have the internal epineurium, which is between the fascicles. And then you have the external epineurium, which is the most external portion of each nerve. And it's what bundles all of the fascicles together. What's the important prognostic factor in nerve recovery? Yep. Hey, just like you said a little bit earlier, at least with the young guys and adaptations, like amphibians, they just regrow everything much better. But age, so younger age to better prognosis for, for the nerve recovery. And I mean, patient age, not age of injury. But yes, younger age. Now, what are the different types of nerve injuries that there are? So you have neuropraxia, axonomesis, and neurotmesis. So neuropraxia is the most minor of the injuries. It's basically just a stretching of the nerve. You have a temporary demyelination, but you have all of the neurium intact. So you have the endoneurium, perineurium, and epineurium intact in a neuropraxia. The axonomesis is when the axons are disrupted, but the perineurium and epineurium are typically still intact. You might have some damage to the perineurium, but the definitely the epineurium is still intact for axonomesis. And then when the axons get disrupted, that's when you get the Wallerian degeneration distal to the injury and the Schwann cells and the kind of perineural stem cells are going to act on that nerve and help it regrow from proximal to distal so that you can get that regeneration of the nerve. But it does take time 
on an EMG, you typically will see fibrillations and sharp waves. So fibrillations and sharp waves means axonomesis. And then neuromesis is a complete nerve injury where the axon all the way through the epineurium is disrupted. And as you can imagine, that has the worst prognosis because every single surrounding layer around the axons is disrupted and you're trying to regenerate an entire nerve and fascicle bundle rather than individual axons. Neuromesis is the worst. Neuropraxia is the best, if you're going to kind of say a best in terms of nerve injuries. How does the regeneration work in the neuromesis and axonomesis? Yeah, and you briefly mentioned it a little bit earlier, but that Wallerian degeneration, so that happens distal to the injury. So these, you know, these different products are phagocytized and then the swan cells start to proliferate and then the endoneural tube is formed that will eventually receive those axons. So again, so distally you get your degeneration and then eventually you get this tube that is formed that eventually you'll get the axons that'll come through that tube. And there are different structural proteins that are produced and the production of these proteins are increased. And that's when we start to get nerve growth at about one millimeter per day. But really, just in the know, again, distal to the injury, you have that Wallerian degeneration. Eventually, that endoneural tube is going to be formed and release these different, like, different protein products. And you start to get nerve regeneration and nerve growth at about one millimeter a day or so. We hope that you enjoyed uh, listening to our episode on fingertip injuries and other things on our hand. Uh, OIT slash a board review series. If you want a more in-depth listen into fingertip injuries, check out our podcast with Dr. Goschalk. That was a while ago, but we go in-depth about fingertip injuries. All right, everybody. Until next time, hit the subscribe button and we'll see you soon.